Coming live from New York, USA is our guest tonight. Welcome to this very special edition of the KJ Masterclass Live, the show which ensures that you profit from your time spent here with experts, either through their industry insights, information, or simply learning from them. And before I move forward, may I request you to subscribe, follow, like, and comment on whichever platform you are watching or listening to this show on. And today we have Muna, Muna Ikedion. Uh, she is the founder and president of MKD, and it's a business strategy agency. Welcome to the show, Muna. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you. And we'll be talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion in brand building and building businesses. So, Muna, uh, you know, it makes me curious that you focus so much on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, tell us about what exactly you do at your company. Uh, we do know it's a business strategy agency. Uh, you deal with many sort of clients, but it will be better if we can understand from you and how do you actually bring in DEI into the way you conduct your work? Um, yeah, I think the work that I do tends to fall between two categories that oftentimes don't overlap very well, which is traditional business strategy, which is how do you build a business, grow a business, scale a business, and of course, diversity, equity, and inclusion that falls a lot into social impact, social equity, um, employer responsibility, CSR, and things like that. Um, and um, I say that I'm a business strategist by trade. That's my background. That's what I went to school for. That's where I entered into my career. But always had a passion for um, social impact and inclusion, specifically in like the clients I chose. But, um, the rise of mission-driven brands over the past 10 years, social impact projects and initiatives being baked into people's growth strategy really was where um, I was leaning towards. And then in my work, it became clear that um, there were a select number of brands that were doing it really, really right most of the time, but took one misstep. Or they understood the importance of inclusion or impact or diversity, but they didn't quite know how to implement it. And that's the kind of the, the group of people are saying that they're 80% of the way there. Um, and that's usually where there's um, a bit more writing on doing it well when your consumer already knows you're interested and cares, they hold you to a higher standard. So my role as the business strategist that focuses on diversity, equity, and inclusion is to come in and help those founders, those teams, and those executives figure out what their values are, how they want that to, um, to exist in their business and in the world, and then translate that to scalable business strategies. It's essentially taking a thoughtful, um, future-forward look at the human aspect of business and making sure that as you increase the good in the world, you're also increasing like the sustainability of your business and the ability for you to continue um, making revenue and profit. Right, Muna, right. Uh, one thing, you know, uh, that raises my curiosity is that uh, you were chemist earlier and then you actually moved into entrepreneurship you founded this company so how did that it's it's a great achievement quite inspiring you know and uh, and and that too uh, a, a good inspiration for women empowerment if i can call it say and then on top of it you talk about diversity equity and inclusion how did that change happen from a former chemist to a present entrepreneur, president of a uh, company. Uh, that, that's very inspiring. So it's 
it, it's very important for me to ask you so that our audience can know about it. Um, yeah, it's it's on the outside looking in, it seems like a really um, dramatic shift. For me, it always seemed to make sense. Um, and I credit that shift or that transition specifically to the mentors in my life who saw me for what I was good at and what I was pursuing. Um, I am very passionate and excited about STEM. I grew up really loving science. I was one of those folks who went into school believing that I was going to be a doctor, chemical engineer, doing all of that. That was going to be my life dream, passion to pursue that career path. But at the end of the day, my goal was always to start a beauty or skincare brand, specifically in um, a beauty or skincare brand that prioritized people with darker skin like myself or specific skin conditions that show up on darker skin in a different way. So yes, it was very STEM focused. And yes, that's the pathway I felt like I could get into that world. But the end goal was always to be an entrepreneur, always to be a founder, and specifically with this focus on reaching a broader, more diverse audience. Um, and considering the fact that I actually was pursuing both of those pathways at the same time, but um, it was, and I'm not gonna say it's easier to break into STEM per se, but it's a lot easier to be impressive in that sense, right? That the doors open for you, people are really excited, people listen to what you say, versus being a black woman in like the business sector or in some of these strategy conversations, I felt like I wasn't getting the respect I deserved or wasn't being able to speak up in the way or bring value in the same way I could from the chemistry perspective. Um, so that's really, I think that it was, part of it was, uh, the passion wanting to be impressive, but also that that external value and um, respect. And it wasn't until a mentor of mine, when I was explaining to them my future and why I was doing what I was doing, that she looked back at me and said, you don't need to get every degree in the world and have, be a chemist and a doctor and all of those things to gain the respect. You get the respect because you know what you're talking about and the proof is in the work. So getting that... Um, confidence or kind of empowering me to own my truth and knowing that um, I deserve to be in those spaces and deserve to be in those rooms and I'm allowed to pursue these things that maybe historically people like me haven't been in was the push I needed to realize that yes I can be good at science and um, good at you know chemistry but I was really great at business right you can be good at something but where do you like really really actually make a difference and that was just as just what I needed and from there it essentially just took off I think that um, the first, the first couple of instances was a little bit of an adjustment, but like she said, um, confidence begets confidence. So eventually it got to a space where now a lot of my work is on the strategy business side, um, and a little bit overlaps the chemistry side, but not necessarily, definitely not in like the, the research, um, side of things at least. Right, right. You are indeed very good at business and that's why you're not running, not just running your own business, but also advising businesses and so and that too on DEI so I wanted to understand you know a lot of companies they talk about big stuff great stuff that they are doing in their company but actually many of them are focused on profits so what do they come to you for do they come for D implementing DEI in their off in their companies or do they come for business and how do you bring this DEI stuff in in that conversation are they very uh, very understanding of this stuff or is it that you talk about it and those who want to implement you talk with further further with them how does it work because i i am still trying to understand how far this particular stuff is getting 
successful with so much of you know not diversity but that's uh, there's so much of diversity but at the same time with the increasing divisions in our societies yes. globally yeah. not just in the us um how so I would say that companies come to me for both because specifically where I specialize in is the intersection of both of them. And I think um, for many of my clients, um, before they start working with me, they feel this push and pull. They feel that um, they have to either choose, like you said, choose a diversity, equity, and inclusion um, or profit. They have to choose which one to focus on and prioritize. And um my pitch, my specialty, what I want to make sure all of my clients know and anyone I work with is that it's not an either or. Ideally, really good diversity, equity, and inclusion should actually help your profits. And increased profits should also be able to help your diversity, equity, and inclusion. They are synergistic. So as one increases, the other increases. So it doesn't actually have to be an either or. It actually can be a um, strategic advantage of you to focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion. So in that, um, in that area, um, when they come to me, it's usually it usually comes from a, um, a place of which is right, which is reasonable, right? They're business owners, they're business founders, and they're saying, "Is we have a business, we have to focus on profit. We're a for-profit business, um, or even if they're a nonprofit, because I do work with nonprofits, that um, we still need to get donations. We still need to have people, you know, want to give to us, but we don't want to sacrifice these values. We don't want to get canceled. We don't want people." Um, abandoning us because of the stances that we take. So how do we do both? And that's where it comes in. So it doesn't, and it doesn't always look as um, big and flashy as the news makes it seem. I'm, you know, super excited that there's all of these brands that are making these huge commitments and donating millions of dollars and, you know, proposing that they're going to revamp their entire company. Um, and I'm excited to see um, if and when that plays out um, in actuality in the future. But a lot of my work actually looks much more subtle and nuanced because I believe slow and steady wins the race. You cannot solve a 400-year-old problem in a 40-minute strategy meeting. Um, so it's a lot of figuring out, you know, how do we shift our supply chain? How do we... Um, reimagine the way we um, do merchandising in our stores? How do we um, revamp our recruitment and hiring process? If we're developing a board, right, what does that look like? If we are bringing in investors, who's on our cap table? If we're looking to exit, how are those conversations being had? How do we ensure that who is acquiring us um, and understands and commits to retaining our values as we move forward. Those are the kind of conversations I tend to have. Um, and they tend to require a lot more work. Like I said, more than that 40 minute meeting than people tend to expect. It's not just believing that you're doing the right thing. It's a lot of times putting the right um, levers and systems in play so that, um, that it does follow through, right? Whether it's in a contract, whether it's, you know, right, like who you're sourcing from, all of these different elements that build the puzzle together of, a truly diverse and inclusive and equitable workplace um, for employees and for customers and for founders. Right, right. So which sector, which companies uh, from which sector do uh, generally approach you for, you know, consultation to take your advice? So I work primarily in fashion, beauty, and wellness. And um, that's an area that I particularly have interest in. Like I said, I want to start a beauty company. So it's where um, my mind went first. I also think, um, especially if we consider that um, 
um, June 2020 was a major year um, or major time for people to shift the way they think about diversity, equity, and inclusion. After George Floyd's murder, it obviously was a huge topic of conversation in a lot of boardrooms. And a lot of the brands that were getting the most heat or having to really reevaluate um, their stances were the fashion companies. And um, that opened the door for them to really revisit and authentically like look deep. It wasn't just a superficial conversation. So a lot of that has led to conversations um, and interactions with me. And the wellness space, as the wellness industry continues to grow and develop, um, I think that they know that inherently wellness is about like being the best version of yourself, being able to live in the world where you feel at peace and respected and valued. And that's really the end goal and end game of diversity, equity, and inclusion. So, um, that's the the three sectors I focus on, but um, I also the kind of a sub niche I do is I, I like to work with companies that are at a particular inflection point. So they're about to launch, um, they're about to raise funds, or they're about to exit. And so these are particular startups or you know growing companies. Um, and um, as of late, some of the DTC darlings, if you will, or those companies that are really making headlines that every move they make matters, tend to be in the fashion, beauty, and wellness space as well. So. That has all converged into that being my primary focus for clientele. Right, right, Muna. Now, I wanted to understand now with such an expert like you, uh, how can brands and businesses, uh, they can get started with, uh, with DEI? A lot of companies are there in India. Uh, there is yeah. a certain uh, focus on CSR. Inherently, a lot of businesses, or especially small businesses, they keep on doing a lot of work on the ground. But if specifically they want to focus on DEI, how do they get started? People, there are many genuine companies, small companies, businesses who want to actually do it, but yeah. don't know how to start, where to start. So that's where an expert like you can help. How to start? So the first few steps you should take, number one is commitment to being honest. Honest with yourself, most importantly. Um, the most difficult conversations to have or difficult situations to um, affect change is when you're not honest about where you are or where you wanna go. And that's a, creating a no judgment zone, create, giving yourself grace, allowing the people who are in the room, whether it's you know your co-founders or your executives or even just family and friends that you're bouncing ideas off of, that you all have a commitment to being honest and being judgment free. That's number one. And then number two is defining what diversity, equity, and inclusion is for you. That's an important step that gets missed so often. And it leaves people, you know, grasping at straws or trying to figure out where they're going the entire way. So when we say diversity, what does diversity mean for you? Um, I work with some companies that from the outside or from other people, they would consider them very diverse. They have people of different races and ethnicities all throughout their company. But when they say diversity, they may say, well, we actually are all women or we're all men. So we want to bring more people in that um, are from different um, gender and sexuality backgrounds, right? Or, well, we're a company, um, I, I actually worked with a company that was incredibly diverse racially and ethnically, um, gender, sexual orientation, everything, but they marketed themselves as a, um, an international company, an international team, that whenever you worked with them, you could work with people from all over the world. And then when I did my analysis, 85% of their team was based in the US. Um, that's an important thing 
to realize when you're defining diversity. For them, diversity needs to mean a global, a truly global team. And how are we hiring for people who aren't just in LA and New York and Chicago? Um, so when you define diversity for yourself, um, or what metrics or specifically what identity groups um, you want to, you really feel like you need to make a difference in, that's step one um, or step two. And I, um, a kind of a, a rule of thumb that I use is that diversity is the opposite of homogeny. So just the existence of difference, people who aren't like the people that are already in your organization. So, so that's um, a, a good place to start. And then the third factor is that understanding that this will not happen overnight. When a lot of the, the feelings of failure or the ability to not move um, forward is because they feel like they have to make a change now. So if you think about your diversity, equity, and inclusion strategy as a five-year plan by default, it makes it easier to get started because that means if in five years, I want to double the number of people I have who are from outside of the U.S., then you can set your one-year goal as a 5% increase, your two-year goal as a 15% increase, and then a three-year goal as a 50% increase. And then over time, you'll reach those numbers. So by creating a plan and then setting up metrics to meet that essentially checkpoints, then that will actually have the strategy that you do to support that fall into place. Because the strategy that comes from that is, okay, if you want to get 5% increase this year, what do you need to do to do get that 5%? That's a lot easier than saying, what do I need to do to get to the doubling it, which actually you don't need to really focus on until you're three, four, or five. Right, right. Does uh, in implementing DEI in organizations, does it cost money or is it uh, is it about including more people so it can cost money only in that manner and not in any other manner? What's, what's your uh, understanding of this? DEI, like every other part of a business, um, is an investment. And it's an investment in time, it's an investment in energy, and oftentimes it's an investment financially. And I think that the difficult thing um, of people accepting that is because they don't necessarily know how to measure ROI. Um, because we invest and we sign a lease to have an office or a retail space, that's an investment. Whenever we hire folks or spend our team, that's an investment. So companies are in the business of spending money to make money. They just don't quite see how spending that money makes them money in the future. So I 100%, 1000% don't want to ever have anyone misinterpret that DEI is something that takes no money, no effort, no time. Um, okay. But I really challenge people to really think about what you can gain from this. If nothing else, especially for small businesses, especially for um, startups, this is where the future is headed. It may not be tomorrow, it may not be next month, it may not be next year, but if you want longevity in your business, you need to be thinking about this and thinking about it now. So if nothing else, you're allowing yourself the sustainability to keep your business going. And a number of businesses that were shut down or CEOs that were ousted in 2020, if they would have had these conversations in 2019 or 2018 or earlier, that wouldn't have been the situation they've been in. So the success of their business was dependent on having these conversations. So the ROI um, is there. It can be calculated on so many different metrics. It attracts more talent. It, um, do, uh, it prolongs your customer's lifetime value because they stick with you and believe in you and share your values. Um, it makes people, it retains talent. They stay longer. It makes you a great partner to work with for um, B2B or supply chain businesses. There's so many benefits that um, financially you gain from for that upfront um, 
with an upfront investment. So I absolutely, you know, there's no question about it that um, it's a worthy investment for a lot of businesses and brands to make. Right, right. A lot of surveys, you know, Muna, say that it can increase, DI can increase sales revenue, customer base, and ultimately increase profits. But why is that very less number of companies have actually, uh, you know, focused on DEI? That number is growing, but why haven't they got it that DEI is the way to, to the future? Is it that they don't, they understand all other numbers, but not the DEI numbers, how it can act, it is not actually a cost, but an investment and equity is not just only for the other side, but also it, it increases and builds a better equity for you in the long run. Why, why is it that reluctance for companies or is it that inherently they don't want to do it or they don't simply understand it because it's too, uh, too much of work to do? I would say all of the above. I think that there's some companies that fall into all of those categories, but there's also, right, when we talk about the, there's, there's many, many companies in the world. So they each have their own kind of areas to why they aren't um, pursuing DEI in earnest. Um, I think oftentimes it's a lack of knowledge and understanding. They don't understand what DEI is. They don't understand that it's an effective, important tool for growth. And they don't necessarily understand how it fits into their business. So that's it. They just don't know. They don't know where to start. They don't know what to do. They don't know where where to go, which is oftentimes where clients come to me. They just, they don't know. So they need to outsource or find an expert who can advise them or um, do it on their behalf. So that's the first one. The second, um, as you mentioned, there are people who don't actually believe in its value, right? Like this, as, as if good people exist, bad people exist, right? So in the same way that there are people who are um, trying and failing at DEI, there are some people that don't want DEI to exist, who don't believe that companies need to be more diverse, do not believe that inclusion is an important value to have, and don't believe that equity is an essential part of growth. They just, they don't believe that. Um, and um, and I know that there's a lot of conversation and data about like the survivability of those co companies, um, but it's the truth, right? That they exist and maybe um, they just operate in certain sectors or maybe um, a little bit more low key about sharing those, that, that stance, but they exist. And that I think is um, an important acknowledgement that, <laughs> that it's not always just about giving them the resources. And then there's also um, the category of people who think that they're doing a lot, but actually aren't. And that's actually that's something that continues to happen now in the past couple of years, is that people are making commitments um, or are implementing DEI strategies that just aren't working. And that can create um, a level of shame and guilt that keep people from moving forward. DEI can be an incredibly vulnerable and difficult and complex thing. It doesn't have to be, but it often is for people, um, especially with the world and society's relationship with race and difference and bias and discrimination. So oftentimes if someone feels vulnerable or scared to make a move and then does their best to make a good DEI move and it fails, the shame and guilt will keep them from maybe even acknowledging it, from trying again, from getting help because they're embarrassed. And that group of people um, is also kind of what comes into um, the clientele that I work with. But it's, I think, um, why it's a long game, right? That there's plenty of times in business that people fail and try again. Like failure is not a foreign concept in business. It just sometimes feels deeper. It cuts deeper, feels more difficult, has more shame around it in DEI than some of the others, some of the other areas of business. Right, right. 
Uh, Muna, you also talk about, you know, mental health and uh, it plays a big role in DEI. What exactly do you mean? Where does do these two things come together? Mental health is, has, I mean, always been important. It's become a huge conversation since the pandemic essentially kept people in their homes for so long and people's relationship to work, to society, to consumerism has shifted. So I think it's an important thing to know and to bake into this DEI conversation. If we look at the history of DEI, if you will, um, I would say that some of the first iterations of what I consider modern 21st century DEI um, was women in the workplace, was um, gender diversities. How do we get women in positions of power? How do we get them in the workforce? How do we get them respected? Um, the second phase, if you will, was um, racial and ethnic diversity. How do we get people of color? How do we get people um, who are non-white, people who um, look different, speak different, come from different backgrounds um, in positions of power and valued and respected? Um, and I think the third phase or something that's kind of adding nuance to that is across the board, how do we get people um, who are overworked, underappreciated, and sometimes oftentimes underpaid, how do we get them to be valued and respected and um, feel good in the workplace, right? Like um, the, the conversation of burnout um, has been um, a big one because it's it impacts the success of your business in the long run. You can have a great employee for a year, for six months, but if they can't perform on the back end because they're overworked, um, it creates um, it creates a business expense that could have been turned into a business growth opportunity if those um, uh, controls were put in place before or that baseline of developing a really mentally healthy and mentally well environment um, was done ahead of time. So I um, I think that's a kind of a newer area and that's a conversation I'm introducing to my clients versus them seeking it out. Um, but I do think it's going to continue to be a bigger conversation, um, especially as for lack of a better um phrase or a better way to say is that people are kind of getting fed up with the way the workplace has been and how businesses have operated um, over the past several decades. So I think it's time to reevaluate that and see um, what the future looks like. Right. What the future looks like. So my last question is to understand uh, from you, Muna, is that going forward, do you think DI will be something that people will or companies will have a time to think whether to implement or is it that they are will be left with no choice but to implement it because people or workers will prefer to be in companies which have this particular concept. What is your understanding of uh, now and the future? My understanding, it depends on the time frame in which you say future. I think that 30 years from now, it'll become a default. Just as much as, I mean, and I think about... Um, the things that we consider standard now that were once considered luxuries, whether it's a hundred years ago in terms of labor laws in the US, the idea of a five day work week or 40 hour work week was not standard. Paid sick leave was not standard. Those things seem so standard, but they were revolutionary back then. So I think that given time um, and a long time horizon, these things will become very standard. Um, but in the short term or the shorter term, maybe in a few years, five, 10 years, I think it's going to be um, a litmus test that the brands that are focusing on DEI will become the most successful, will be the household names, will gain the respect of um, younger consumers. And that will lead to 
the wider spread adoption. But I think for now, for the for the next couple of years, it'll just simply be how consumers make their buying decisions, less so of a standard part um, uh, of the internal conversations happening at businesses and boardrooms. Right, right. So for those companies and brands who don't want to wait for 30 years to implement it, but now, how do they connect with you? And how do they do that? You can connect with me um, on LinkedIn and on my website, mkedi.com. So M-K-E-D-I.com. Um, and I really love having open, honest, vulnerable conversations about where people are and where they want to go. Um, I believe in a 1,000% judgment-free zone. And I believe that change happens in steps. So um, I'm more than happy and excited to have conversations with people who have never done anything in DEI who may just now be starting to think about DEI, but know that they have values they want to maintain and they have specific passions that they want to integrate into their business and be profit drivers for them. DEI should be a profit driving, um, exciting growth opportunity for any business. Wonderful. Wonderful. On this note, it's a wrap on this very special edition of the KJ Masterclass Live. Thank you so much for joining in. Thank you so, so much for having me. It was a pleasure.